0: Wow! You guys just keep getting bigger and bigger. <laughs> hey, it's great being here. Hey, just stay standing, because I'm going to pray before... I always love to pray before I preach. But listen, I'm having so much fun here, and i got to tell you, every service just keeps getting better. So I expect this one's going to be the best. Yeah. Is that right? Woo. All right, because maybe the, you're, you're the most awake. Yeah. And uh, yeah. anyway, so listen, it's, it's, it, I have to tell you, I was really excited about coming originally, because, like, you know, Pastor Ralph is a legend, okay? I mean, 40 Woo! churches in Hawaii, I couldn't wait to meet him. And then to come and meet Carl, I feel like I got a new great friend. Man, and, Kani, you are uh, just amazing. I said it right. Kanali. Kanani. Kanani. Yeah. I got it. Yeah. Yes. What did you say my name What my, my, my name is Ke- 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 Keone. That's where I was messing up. See, my name is Keone. <laughs> Y'all don't believe that, do you? Okay, isn't that John for Hawaiian or Hawaiian for John or whatever it is? Anyway, it's just great, great to meet you guys. And look, I kind of feel like I'm with family today. Is that all right? All right, so let me share with you my family. I've got three of my sons here, but here's a picture of all of them. But this is my beautiful family. And you can see my smoking hot, gorgeous wife. Uh, 30 years of marriage this year. There's our four sons towering above us. From the right is Addison, he's not here, but that is his wife, Juliana, below him, and that is their two children. So those are my G-babies. You say, what is a G-baby? You already got let in on it. I'm way too young to be grandpa, so it's G-daddy and G for short, okay? And so anyway, um, there's Arden, he's the tallest, he's the youngest, and he's an amazing golfer. He shot 67 and 68 last year. And then there's Austin. Austin graduated summa cum laude from Colorado last year. He's our second born and his birthday is Tuesday. So everybody make sure you wish him happy birthday. He turns 23 and he's available. I would like a Hawaiian daughter-in-law. <laughs> okay, he's flying, <laughs> I'm in trouble. Okay, uh, I'm sorry Austin. And then there's Alec. Alec is on the extreme end. He's our amazing child. He made D's and F's in high school. But I said, don't worry, he just thinks differently. The brother said, daddy doesn't think. And so he got hired by Apple at 18, youngest hire in the state of Colorado. He went from a specialist to an expert to a genius and became the youngest genius in the state of Colorado. Then they made a manager two months ago, 85 employees in the store. He's the third youngest of all 85 employees. There's only five managers. He's one of the five. He is amazing. So that's Alexander. So all three of them, the ones on the left are all here. So make sure you say hello, especially to Austin because it's his birthday. All right. So that's to my family. Amen. All right, so this is what I want to do. I want to say thank you so much before I get into the Word. You and your wife have just been amazing. Your dad, your mother, just amazing. Your staff, thank you so much. We feel very loved and very, very welcomed here. So thank you so much. So let's pray. I want your life to be changed. I don't want just a service. I want a life-changing service, okay? So can we believe God for that? Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you so much for what you've already done. But Jesus, you always save the best wine for last. So Holy Spirit of God, I'm asking that you would just invade this place today. Reveal Jesus to us greater than we've ever known Him before. And as you do, may we go from glory to glory as by the Spirit of the living God. For once again, I decree your kingdom has come. Your will shall be done in this place on earth as it is in heaven. And for this, we give you all the honor and the praise and the thanksgiving in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody that agrees, shouts. Come on, give Him praise amen 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 you can be seated all right so i leave here wednesday and go on to australia where i'll be speaking at a big conference down there in sydney and i'm looking forward to it my wife is actually down in new zealand right now and she's just been speaking at a women's conference in a very very great church down there so she's heading back to colorado tomorrow and i go back down under so we're crisscrossing so anyway Today I want to share with you out of the newest book I've written called Relentless, The Power You Need to Never Give Up. Now, I'm going to say I'm only going to be able to share one or two chapters here today. So please, please listen. And please also, if God whets your appetite, make sure you get the book. Because it took about 400 hours to write this book. I can't preach it in 45 minutes, okay? So I'm going to do my best. But anyway, in order to open up, I want to share with you what the Apostle Paul said. And this is kind of his mandate upon his life, because look at how he words this. He said in the book of Ephesians, My task is to bring out into the open and make plain what God has been doing. Through Christians like yourselves, this extraordinary, everybody shout extraordinary. Extraordinary. Plan of God is becoming known. Notice Paul said, I've got to bring this out into the open. I've got to make it plain. For him to say that means there is something hidden that needs to be revealed. What is hidden is God's plan. And God's plan is, one more time, His plan for your life is extraordinary. Unless it's been suppressed in you. There is an inborn, God-given innate desire in every single one of you to live an extraordinary life. Amen? Amen? I mean, to illustrate this truth, just look at the most popular movies of all time. If you look at the top 50 blockbuster movies of all time, 70% of those movies are about extraordinary characters, many of them possessing extraordinary powers. What would be some of those movies? you got Spider-Man, you got Star Wars, you got Batman, you've got, oh, I don't know what else is up there. You've got Indiana Jones and Matrix, and you've got the X-Men and Chronicles and Narnia. So I want you to think with me here for a minute. The most popular movies of all time, are not love stories. Contrary to popular belief, they're not espionage thrillers, they're not war stories, they're not movies about true life accounts, they are movies about extraordinary characters. Many of them possessing extraordinary powers. Why is that? Because God created us for the extraordinary and we yearn for it and that's why we go to these movies. Now this has not been the image that's been portrayed of Christianity. You know, one of the things that kept me from becoming a Christian for so many years, I actually avoided it, was the image that was portrayed of Christianity. I mean, I, like so many other people, saw Christians as backward, ignorant, and passive people. I mean, the, the concept of pioneers who lived and thought outside the box and lived in extraordinary ways... Just didn't come to mind when I thought about becoming a Christian. I thought if you became a Christian, you lose individualism. You forego creativity, excellence, passion, the ability to excel in life. However, this is not what God says. For God says in Genesis 1:27, God created human beings to be Godlike. Everybody say, Godlike. God-like. How many of you know God's not ordinary? Amen. He's definitely extraordinary. According to the scripture, we were created to reflect His nature. So. It is the will of God for you to live an extraordinary life. It doesn't matter if you're in the ministry, if you're in government, or if you're in the business world, or if you're in retail, or if you are working in medical field. God has created you to live an extraordinary life in the realm of influence that he's called you to. So the first question we need to ask is how do we do it? How do we live the extraordinary life that God has created us to live? Would you like to know the answer? the answer is the grace of God. Now, this is where the huge, and I mean huge, disconnect occurs in the American church. Two and a half years ago, a nationwide survey was done all across the 48. The only people polled in this survey were born again, Bible-believing, Sunday morning Christian, Sunday morning church-attending Christians. In this survey, the question was asked, give three or more definitions or descriptions of the grace of God. Now, I bet you can guess the results. The overwhelming majority of the responses were salvation. That's the first thing people think of when they hear the grace of God. Another one is forgiveness of sins. Another one is a gift, a free gift that you cannot earn. Now, I'm so glad Americans understand we're saved by grace and only by grace. You cannot earn that grace. You can't merit it because it is God's gift. And by the grace of God, our sins have been remitted. Thank God Americans understand that, right? However, this is where the tragedy occurred in this survey. Only 2%, now I didn't say 20%, I said 2%, it was actually 1.9% of those over 5,000 that were polled said that grace was God's empowerment. Yet this is exactly how God himself represents his grace. For he said to the Apostle Paul, In 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, My grace is all you need for my what? For my what? My power works best in your weakness or your human inabilities. So, if you got a red-letter edition of the Bible, you go to this scripture where all the words of Jesus are in red and all the other words are in black. Go to this scripture. These words aren't black. They're red. Which means these are not the words of the Apostle Paul. They are the words of God himself. So God refers to his grace as his power. Yet only 2% of the American Christians understand that. How does the apostle Peter refer to the grace of God? He says, grace be multiplied to you as his divine what? Shout it. Has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So the apostle Peter refers to the grace of God as his divine power. Yet only 2% of the American Christians understand this. Let me go deeper. Let me be academic for a few minutes let me go to the greek word that is used for grace in the new testament it is the greek word charis now strong's defines this word as gift favor benefit gracious and liberality if you take this initial definition that strong's gives couple it together with selected scriptures in the book of ephesians galatians and romans You're going to get the definition of grace that the majority of the American Christians are familiar with. However, he doesn't stop there. He continues to define this word as the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life. So you can see there's an outward reflection of what God does in our heart through His grace. That is the empowerment of grace. If you look in Acts chapter 11, Barnabas goes to the church in Antioch and the Bible says he saw the grace of God on the people. He didn't hear about the divine empowerment. He saw it are you with me, that was reflected from their life. Are you seeing this? Another source defines this Greek word as God's empowering presence in one's life. Now, my definition after years of prayer and study is simply this. God's empowerment that gives you and I the ability to go beyond our natural ability. Please write that down. There's a lot of prayer in that. God's free empowerment that gives you the ability to go beyond your natural ability. Now, why is it such a tragedy that only 2% of the American Christians understand this? Well, let me do a hypothetical to illustrate it, okay? Let's say we've done some research and we discover a small tribe that lives in Africa in the bush. And in our research, we discover that this tribe, in order to get fresh water, every day they've got to walk two miles to the nearest spring and carry the water back. The nearest village is 35 miles, so when they need something from the village, they got to walk 35 miles. So what we decide is we're going to give them a gift. Now look at the top line of the definition of grace. We're going to give them a gift. We're going to be favorable to them. We're going to benefit them. We're going to be gracious. We're going to be liberal with them. We buy them a brand new 2012 Range Rover. We ship the Range Rover to Africa. We park it outside the bush. We go into the bush, get the tribe. We bring them out. We show the chief the park tri- range rover and we say, this is our gift to you because we love you so much. We put the chief in the passenger seat. We fire it up. We tell him about the air conditioner. We tell him about the heater. We tell them about the XM satellite radio where they can hear the national championship game Monday night. We tell them about the DVD player. We whip out a movie like Avatar. We plug it in. He's amazed by the blue people that come on the screen. We tell him about the CD player. We put a Hope Chapel CD in there. He's amazed by the worship that comes over. And so we get out of the vehicle. The chief is completely overwhelmed with our generosity. He says, wait a minute. What do I give you for this? No, chief, you could never buy this. We are giving this to you because we love you so much. It's our gift to you, free gift to you. So we leave. But then a couple months after we've left, we discover they're still walking two miles every day to the watering hole and carrying the water back. They're still walking 35 miles in the nearest village. Why? Because we neglected to tell them the primary functional definition of the Range Rover is transportation. Well, we have neglected to tell the church in America that the primary functional definition of the grace of God is His empowerment. You say, John, I'm not responding to that because you said the primary. Oh, yeah, I said the primary. Let me tell you about something that happened to me two and a half years ago that changed my life forever. I was praying, I'd been praying for 30 minutes and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit spoke to me something I will never in my life forget. He said to me, just out of the blue, I'm praying and the the Spirit of God said to me, son, how did I introduce grace in my book, the New Testament? Now, as an author that's written 14 books, that question really meant something to me because anytime I'm writing a book and I introduce a brand new fresh term that I know the majority of the people are not familiar with, i got to give the primary definition when I introduce it. Later on in the book, I can give a second and a third definition, but i got to give the primary when I introduce it. Let me make sure we're all on the same page. If I'm writing a letter to the chief in Africa, and I'm telling him about the Range Rover, I'm going to tell him in the first paragraph, chief, we're giving you a Range Rover, its primary function is transportation. Now you don't have to carry heavy water back two miles every day, just haul it back. Now you don't have to walk 35 miles to the nearest village. Just drive there in a tenth of the time and haul the supplies back. Because the chief has never in his life seen a vehicle before. Then in the second paragraph, I can give the secondary definitions. in the third paragraph and the fourth paragraph, such as the CD player, the air conditioner and the heater, the DVD player, and the XM satellite radio. But I'm going to give them the primary when I introduce it. So the Holy Spirit said to me, how did I introduce grace in my book? I said, you know, I don't know. And I really didn't. So I ran to my Bible. I got on my computer. And I found out how God introduces grace in the New Testament. You want to see it? John 1.16. You know, some of you aren't getting this. Where I come from, it's rude not to answer a question if you're asked. Is it the same in Hawaii? Not the same. Okay. So. You want to see it? Oh, that's good. I know. You're just listening. I'm having fun with you. Okay. Here's where it, 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 God introduces it in the new testament John 1:16 look at this and of his now his would be Jesus is here of Jesus's fullness we have all received and grace for grace now what does grace for grace mean there because i don't talk in that kind of language well i went to a greek expert who was born in greece who has studied ancient greek and i asked him i said what does this grace for grace mean and he said to me john this is what it means The apostle is communicating here. This is the overflow or the abundance or the completeness of what grace does for us. What is the overflow, abundance, or completeness of what the grace of God does for you and I? It gives us the fullness of Jesus. Okay, like all of you should be going nuts right now. So let me help you understand the implication of what I just said. If I go to Castle High School and I go to the varsity basketball team and I don't go to the starters, I go to the kid that sits the bench until there's two minutes left and he only gets put in if they're 30 points behind or ahead. And I look at this kid and I say, hey, we have the new scientific means that we're going to put on you. Now put up that scripture again. We can put on you the fullness of Kobe Bryant. What do you think that kid's going to say? Dude. Put it on me right now. And what's he going to do? He's going to start for Castle. Castle's going to win the state championship. And he's going to the NBA and he's MVP a few years. What if I walk up to a struggling businessman and I look at the struggling businessman and I say, we have the new scientific means that we can put on you the fullness, the full ability of Donald Trump and Steve Jobs combined. What do you think he's going to say? Forget Donald Trump, give me Steve Jobs, right? No, that's not what he would say. That businessman would go, shoot, dude, put it on me right now. And what would he do? He would start thinking of ways of investing that he's never thought of before. Well, grace hadn't given us the fullness of Donald Trump or Steve Jobs or Kobe Bryant or LeBron James or Albert Einstein or Beethoven. Grace has given us the fullness of Jesus Christ that's power baby i said that's power so look god does not introduce grace in the new testament as forgiveness of sins does it forgive us of sins you better believe it but he introduces that much later in the book he doesn't introduce it as a free gift is it free absolutely you could never earn it but it's introduced way later in the book he doesn't introduce us as a ticket to heaven is it our ticket to heaven you better believe it but that's later in the book he introduces grace As that, the empowerment that gives us the fullness of Jesus. This is why Peter says, look what Peter writes here. I showed you the scripture earlier. As his divine power, which we established to be grace, has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Then he goes on to say that this grace has made us, now look at the bottom line, to be partakers of the divine nature. What does the word nature mean? Listen to the word divine nature. Nature, what does the word nature mean? It means the essential qualities or character of a person. Do you understand what grace has done for us, it has given us the fullness of the essential qualities and character of Jesus Christ Himself. Yeah. This is why the Apostle John writes in his book in 1 John 4:17: As Jesus is, so are we in this world. Notice he doesn't say we're gonna be in heaven one day, he doesn't say we're gonna be this way in the millennium, as he is so are we in this world this is why i get so angry when some teacher some preacher some pastor stands up with this ridiculously false humble voice and goes well you know we christians we're really no different than sinners we're just forgiven i think turn a guy's mic off run out of the building turn the channel he's filling the air with a doctrine of a demon he's disempowering the church I mean, even nature teaches us better than that. Have you ever heard of a lion giving birth to a mongoose? (laughs) Have you ever heard? Have you ever heard of such a thing? Have you ever heard of a thoroughbred racehorse giving birth to an unworthy worm? The Bible says we're his offspring. We are bone of his bone, the Bible says. We are flesh of his flesh. The Bible says, beloved, now, not later, now are we the sons and daughters of God as he is. So are we in this world. This is what grace has done for us. I mean, can anybody get excited about that? Yeah. Amen. Amen. I got the cord running up my arm here. Man, I'm excited. i preach myself happy again. Yeah. Hallelujah. This is why the Apostle John says, he says this. He says, those who say they live in God should live their lives just like Jesus lived. Now, wait a minute. How are we supposed to do that? Okay, let me give you a little hint. I'm going to ask a lot of questions over the next several minutes. 99% of the answers are going to be grace. Okay? So, let's try this again. Put that scripture up. Those who say they live in God should live their lives just like Jesus did. How are we supposed to do that? You guys are so smart. (laughs) Okay, so the next thing we got to talk about is how did Jesus live? Well, first of all, he walked in extraordinary godliness and purity. Correct? Now... The Apostle Paul tells us how to serve God. The acceptable, everybody say acceptable, way to serve God. Look at 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1. Look what he says. He says, let us purify ourselves. Notice he doesn't say, the, God's going to purify you. Let us purify ourselves. Cleanse ourselves, other translations say from everything, not most things, everything that makes body or soul unclean and let us be completely holy, right? Peter writes, as he is holy, you be holy. How in the world are we supposed to be holy as he's holy? Oh gosh, (laughs) that's right. I mean, let me help you understand what I'm talking about. When I was in high school, I was a very effective sinner okay what does that mean my nature was the sin i did it quite effectively okay so as an effective sinner i'm in a movie theater one time and i'm watching this movie called ten commandments starring charlton heston okay so this scene comes on in the movie where the earth opens up and swallows alive into heaven hev, into hell forever dathan and his buddies when that scene came on i started repenting like crazy now i'm a catholic boy i have no idea what repentance is but baby i'm repenting i'm like Oh my God, I'm done with that. Okay, I won't do that again. God, please, give me another chance. I'll never do that again. Okay, I'll stop hanging around those guys. And let me tell you something, I left that movie theater completely changed, man, completely, and it lasted for about a week. (laughs) Then I was back to all my sin. Why? Because I had repentance, but no grace. So then I'm in my college fraternity. One of my fraternity brothers shares Campus Crusade four spiritual laws with me. After the four spiritual law, I received Jesus Christ, just like my friend from Japan. As my Lord, He became my Savior. I became a child of God, just like my friend from Japan. Okay? Right? Which I'm very, very proud of you. Very happy. Amen? So, I become a child of God. Right? But guess what? I kept living in the same sin I was living in before I got saved. Why? I had no teaching. I was like the chief with the vehicle. Okay? Are you with me? So then, so then couple years later, I read in the Bible. You know how you really read a scripture one day and it jumps up off the page? And the Bible says, pursue holiness without which no man will see the Lord. I thought, oh my goodness, I want to see God. Okay, now I became a legalist. I am beating people up everywhere. Hey, dude, dude, you can't do that. Like you do that, you will never see God. (laughs) Now I'm making everybody uncomfortable. My wife uncomfortable, my friends uncomfortable, and God in his mercy, thank God, he speaks to me and he says, son, Holiness is not a product of your flesh, it's a work of my grace. Amen. Then all of a sudden I realize grace is God's empowering presence that gives me the ability to do what I otherwise couldn't do in my own ability, and that is to cleanse myself from everything that makes body or soul unclean, because this is the acceptable way to serve God. Wow. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> that is why the writer of Hebrews goes on to say, let us have what? Grace. Let us have what? Grace. By which, or in other words, it empowers us to serve God acceptably are you seeing this so you know what this means 98 percent of the christians in america are trying to live godly in their own ability how do i know that that's a fact how do i know that the reason i know that is you can't have anything from god unless you believe nothing right and you can't believe what you don't know so if only two percent of the christians in america know that grace is god's empowerment that means 98 percent of them are trying to live godly in their own ability now do you know what happens if you try to live godly in your own ability? One of two things happen. Either you become a hypocritical legalist, or you become a loosey-goosey, make up some strange doctrine that grace covers all the sin I love, standing on a very thin ice person. But when you understand that grace is God's empowerment, you become a happy person. That is why the Apostle Paul goes on to say in the same neighborhood in 2 Corinthians, we beg you who have received God's grace to not let it be wasted. How in the world could you ever waste God's grace the way we've preached it in America? Can i illustrate our grace that we preach in america hey i know i'm not living quite the way i should man but it's okay i got grace that's not grace that's scary (laughs) how could you ever waste that grace it's impossible to waste that grace when you understand that grace is god's empowerment you can understand how you waste it just as if it's 10 years from now 2022 and we decide to go visit our friends in africa and we go down there strangely enough the vehicles parked in the exact same place we left it 10 years ago in 2012. There's grass growing up, up all around it. There's dust covering the whole thing. We force one of the doors open, and the odometer says 000.0. What do we say? They wasted the gift we gave them 10 years ago. That's how you waste the grace of God. How else did Jesus live? He met the needs of humanity. He healed the sick. He cleansed the disease. He got people delivered that were in bondage. And then you know what he says to us? He says, as the Father sent me, now I'm sending you. Wait a minute. Whoa, time out. How in the world are we supposed to do that? Open up blind eyes, deaf ears, get people delivered. How how are we supposed to do that, right? How are we supposed to? Through what? Come on, talk to me. Through grace. Let me tell you, not about an apostle, not about a prophet, not about a teacher, not about a a pastor, not about an evangelist. I'm going to tell you about a restaurant worker in the Book of Acts. He's a restaurant worker. Okay, he busses tables. His name's Stephen. Look what the Bible says about him. Stephen, a man full of God's what? performed amazing miracles and signs among the people how do you do it through the free gift of grace you know what's really really sad we get in church we get saved we get saved we tell people it's a free gift we get them saved easily by grace but then we get in the church for a few years we didn't do our hour of prayer we didn't do our hour of reading we didn't do our 21 day daniel fast so we think we can't get that person healed who has faith to be healed but we can't get him healed because why we didn't do our works we have now fallen from grace because we reduce it down to how much we pray and study are you with me yeah. i said are you with me yeah. do you know who the easiest person people i find to get healed are and you know what i don't have to fast pray and do all that stuff are sinners on the street i've gone to prisons and get people get healed so easily why because the christians have been told so many times how god won't heal the person in the prison just goes shoot man pray and they get healed are you with me yeah. isn't that interesting I mean, it's really interesting how people will come into church and sometimes come into church and hear things wrong. Pastors preaching it right, but they hear it wrong. Or the pastor's preaching it wrong and they hear it wrong. One of the two things. But they're getting it wrong. They're making all these laws up. You receive grace by the hearing of faith. See, that's why the Bible says we have access to this grace through faith. Faith is the pipeline that gets it to us. You didn't get saved until you believed. The salvation is provided for the entire world. Everybody's been saved. But why are most of the people in the world going to end up in hell? Because they didn't believe. So they had no access to the grace. Well, the same thing applies to living holy. The same thing applies to getting the needs met of mankind. And the same thing applies to the third way Jesus walked, and that is this. And this is the one I want to spend the most time on. Jesus walked in extraordinary wisdom, understanding, insight, ingenuity, and creativity. Correct? I mean, I look at his wisdom. It was amazing. It astounded people, right? It silenced his enemies. It astounded the multitudes. Where did the wisdom come from that Jesus walked in? Where did it come from? Grace. Luke 2.40 tells us, you got it right? The child Jesus grew and became strong in spirit, filled with what? Shout it. Wisdom. Filled with wisdom. Where would that wisdom come from? And the grace of God was upon him. Now, if grace is just forgiveness of sins and a ticket into heaven like we preach in america why did jesus need grace he never committed one sin and he certainly didn't need a ticket to heaven when you understand though jesus was the son of god but he stripped himself of all of his divine privileges and walked this earth as the son of man therefore he needed grace's empowerment to walk in the wisdom he walked in and wow what wisdom did he walk in his wisdom literally saved a woman's life one time. One time these religious zealots, they catch this woman in an act of adultery. In the very act, they, they drag her out of the place half naked, right? Drag her right into the open temple square. First of all, I want to say, where is the guy? Come on, man, where's the guy? What are you just getting a woman for? So they throw this woman in front of Jesus. And they say, all right, Jesus, Moses said stoner, what do you say? Now, I love the creativity of the wisdom of God on Jesus through grace, right? He says, all right, boys, let the first one without st- sin cast the first stone. Then he gets down on the sand and starts writing all their secret girlfriends' names, all right? Hannah, Isabel, Rachel, and when they see the girl they've been sleeping with, they drop their rocks and get out of Dodge quick. His wisdom literally saved that woman's life. Another time, he's walking by the seashore, and there is a professional fishing company having the worst day of their career. Can you imagine? You own a retail store. You don't make one sale all day. That's the kind of business day this professional fishing company's having. One encounter with the grace of God on Jesus, it instantly becomes the most successful business day of their career. And Jesus isn't even a fisherman. He's a carpenter, but he's got grace. Are you with me? I mean, Jesus found donkeys without having to go to Craigslist or eBay. I mean, he can pay his taxes without going to the H&R Block guy. He's amazing. I mean, so what does the grace of God literally give Jesus the ability to do? And this is where I really want to focus in. It gives him the ability to change the societies he's a part of. Oh, my goodness, this is good. He walks into a city and meets up with this syndicate leader. Okay, we're talking the Godfather. Hey, Jesus, you come to my territory, hey. One encounter with the grace of God on Jesus, and Zacchaeus immediately goes, I'm never stealing again. You know how much safer that city became because the Godfather just said, I'm never stealing again? Yep. Not only that, before Jesus even opens his mouth because of the grace of God that's on him, Zacchaeus goes, Boss, boss, I'm, I'm telling you what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna restore back 400% to everybody I've stolen from. Whoa, thus stimulating the economy. And it wasn't with paper printed monopoly government money like we did a few years ago. It's actually real money. He goes into another community. Here's a young man completely insane and out of his mind. I mean, government's going to have to give this young man food and clothing for the rest of his life through taxpayers' money, right? And a lot of clothing because he keeps ripping off the clothing. One encounter with the grace of God on Jesus. One encounter. And the man never needs clothing again. He never needs food again because he's in his right mind. And not only that, the ten cities of the Decapolis heard the kingdom of God through that one man. And oral tradition later on says he became the bishop of all ten cities until the day he passed. All because one man met grace. What about all the other blind people, the crippled people, the lame people, the the mute people, the deaf people? That the government was having to give taxes to, and now they wouldn't have to do it anymore. They could use the money to benefit the societies in a better way, and those people became productive citizens in in their communities. All because of grace. And you know what the Bible says, if you record everything Jesus did over those three and a half years the world of books couldn't contain it and you know what he says to us as the father sent me now I'm sending you and you're going to do greater works why aren't we even doing the works he did let alone greater why because we don't know what we have in the grace of God are you with me I said are you with me so here's the bottom line what does the grace of God give you and I the ability to do it gives us the ability to rule in life Everybody say rule in life. Rule in life. say it again. Rule in life. Shout it for me. Rule in life. Look at Romans 5, 17. All who receive God's abundant grace and are freely put right with Him will rule in life. Notice it doesn't say rule in the next life, it says rule in this life. Now the sad observation I've made is most Christians are ruled by life, they're not ruling in life. Are you with me? What does it mean to rule in life? It means we rise above the norm. We break out of the status quo. We no longer see life as an 8 to 5 job, get a paycheck every other week, then one day retire and then die of disease and go to heaven. What a pathetic way to live. You have been created for so much more. It means we become influencers. Because we know we're the head and not the tail, above only and not beneath. I don't know where you, if, where, you, where you come from, but where I come from in Colorado, heads lead, tails follow. But my observation has been society leads, we follow. Are you with me? What does it mean to rule in life? It means we are to be the most creative, innovative people that walk the face of the earth. We are to be the wisest people to walk the face of the earth. It means if you're a public school teacher, you by the gift of grace of God are coming up with such new and innovative ways of communicating wisdom and knowledge to your students that all the other public educators in your school system are scratching their heads going, where does she get these ideas from? Grace. 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 It means if you're a detective, you know where to solve, you know, you're solving the crimes before anybody else because you know where to find the evidence. You know where the criminals are. You're solving neighborhood problems that nobody else can solve because you've got and all the other people in the detective all the other people in the police force are scratching their heads going where's this guy get these ideas from it means if you're in the medical field you are coming up with medical scientific discoveries of treating sickness and disease that are fresh and new that nobody's thought of before so that all the other people in the medical field are scratching their heads going where does she get these ideas from it means if you're a businessman you know when to buy when to sell when to get in when to get out you're coming up with marketing ideas that are so new and so fresh other people are scratching their heads because your business is booming when everybody else is faltering so they scratch their heads and say where does he get these ideas from so in essence what does the grace of God give us the ability to do gives us the ability to distinguish ourselves everybody say distinguish myself myself. Daniel chapter 6 verse 3 then this Daniel began distinguishing himself do you notice it does not say God began to distinguish him he began to distinguish himself Among the commissioners and satraps, those are the government leaders of Babylon because he possessed an extraordinary spirit. That's the New American Standard Bible. Now, Daniel and his three friends come out of this little country, and they're brought into the most powerful nation in the world, Babylon. Some of you think America is something. America is nothing compared to Babylon. Babylon ruled the entire world. They were number one in the world economically and socially and politically and governmentally, militarily, in the arts and in science. Daniel and his three friends come out of this little country, they're brought into Babylon. After the king of Babylon interviews them in chapter 1 of Daniel, he determines they are 10 times smarter, 10 times wiser, more innovative and creative than their best leaders in Babylon. Daniel and his friends, Daniel particularly starts implementing things they had never thought of before. He starts getting promoted like crazy until he's above all of them and do you know what jesus said jesus said of all the human beings that have been born up to this day the greatest is john the baptist which means john was greater than daniel don't try to compare the two daniel's a government leader john's a minister but daniel's greater but then or excuse me but john's greater but then jesus says but the least in the kingdom of god is greater than john which means the least in the kingdom of God is greater than Daniel. Now, there's been about a billion Christians from the time of the resurrection until present day. If you happen to be the least of all those Christians, if you're number 999,999,999, and if you are, I really want to meet you. You're greater than John, which makes you greater than Daniel. So why aren't you distinguishing yourself? Because we don't know what we have in the free gift of grace. Let me talk about distinguishing ourselves for just a minute. What does Jesus say repeatedly in the Gospels? You are the light of the world. What do lights do? Everybody shout it. Shine. They shine, right? Listen to Isaiah's word, Isaiah 61, 2, and 3. Arise, shine, for the light has come. The glory of the Lord's risen upon you. Notice not descended. We have this treasure in earth and vessels. In other words, we're going to wake up to what we already have. The glory of the Lord's risen upon you. For behold, darkness is gonna cover the earth and gross darkness of evil. He's not talking about heaven, he's not talking about the millennium, he's talking about now. For behold, darkness covers the earth, gross darkness of evil, but the light of God's gonna rise, and the unbelievers are gonna be drawn to your light. What do lights do? They distinguish themselves. Walk out on a dark night, cloudless. What do you see amongst all the darkness? The stars, they distinguish themselves amongst the darkness. Are you with me? Now, what has been our American mentality of being the light of the world? Our American mentality is this. This is the way we see being the light of the world. We go to work. We go to school. We treat everybody really nice. We act humble, and we can quote John 3.16. That's our idea of being the light of the world. What if Daniel would have adopted this mindset? He would have walked into the government offices of Babylon. He would have looked at the Babylonian leaders and said, Hey, Babylonian leaders. Governors and satraps. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's Psalm 23, verse 1. You know what those guys would have said when he prayed at lunch? Because he prayed every day at lunch? They would have said, we hope that lunatic prays all afternoon. He is so positively weird. Why did they make it a law that he couldn't pray? Because he was 10 times smarter than them, 10 times wiser, 10 times more innovative, 10 times more creative. He's coming up with ideas they've never thought of. He's getting promoted like crazy over all of them. And they're scratching their heads and they're going, we have been trained by the finest teachers, the most knowledgeable scientists and teachers and leaders in the whole world. He's come out of this little country, where does he keep getting these ideas from? It must be this thing called prayer. Let's make a law against it. And we thought it was treating people nice and quoting a scripture or holding up a scripture board at the football game. But listen to Jesus' words, let your light shine that men may see your good works that they're wrought in God, not hear your good scriptures. Yeah. Are you here? Yeah. Yeah. I have a friend, I've shared with about him every service, his name is Ben Gibert, Vice President Chrysler Corporation, he's an African American brother, okay? Now you notice, I didn't say he was Vice President of Annie's Muffins. His vice president, was vice president of Chrysler Corporation, he's been promoted since. We're at dinner a year and a half ago, almost two years ago, and Ben looked at me and he said, John, before I was vice president of Chrysler Corporation, I've never shared this with you, he said, I was on the senior design team at General Motors, he said, that's a very elite team, it's a large and elite team, he said, being on the senior design team, they do a cost production analysis on each of us every year, cost production analysis is simply this, how much our innovations save the company, and how much our innovations make the company. They add those two figures together. That's each employee's cost production analysis on the senior design team. He said, I was reading in my Bible that Daniel was 10 times smarter, wiser, more innovative. He said, shoot. I crossed my arms and said, God, that's the Old Testament. That's, I'm under grace. I should be at least 10 times better than anybody in the senior design team. He said, I started praying that way. He said, that year, the number two guy on the entire team Number two guy was $35 million. That was his cost production analysis. He said, I was $350 million. I was 10 times better. There's a couple on our staff named Jim and Kelly Townsend. They have a son named Tyler. 11 years old, looks like toothpicks. He's in my meeting, and he hears me talking about this. He turns to his mom and dad. He says, shoot, I'm going to be 10 times better football player than anybody out there this year. So he's on the citywide Now, Colorado Springs, a half a million people, okay? So take everybody you got on this island and reduce it in half. That's how big, okay? All the 11, 12-year-olds of the city. He's 11, okay? The number two rusher on the entire league ran for 490 yards that season. He ran for 900 yards. The number two rusher on the entire league scored seven touchdowns that season. He scored 17 touchdowns. He said, Dad, grace kicks butt i could go on and on and tell you other stories i mean there are so many amazing stories but i think the most important thing to do is tell you my story a lot of you do not know this because this is the first time we've met today but one of my worst subjects in high school was english creative writing and foreign language yeah it used to take me about four hours to write one page paper i'm not kidding okay i mean My high school English teachers, I really believe that they passed me just so they wouldn't have to put up with me another year. If you think I'm kidding, on the SATs, the National Entrance Exam to college, you know a big section of it is English. Do you know what I scored on the SATs and in the English section? The highest score I ever scored was 370 out of 800. That is 46%. That is F minus, minus, minus. Okay, do you understand? I've met one human being my entire life who scored less than i did on the sat in english okay so when god comes to me in 1990 and says son i want you to write i said okay you have so many kids now on the earth you're getting us confused with one another <laughs> lord you don't want me to write talk to my english teachers in high school so i didn't do anything 10 months later two women come to me from two different states in america within two weeks of each other and they both had the exact same words they said john bevere If you do not write what God's given you to write, he's gonna give the message to somebody else and you will stand in judgment for it. When a second woman said it to me two weeks after the first woman, one was from Texas, one was from Florida, the fear of God hit me and I said, I better write. So I got a notebook piece of paper and I put contract on top of it. And I wrote a contract out with God. I said, God, I think you're making a huge mistake. You have far better writers in the church. So I need grace and I signed the contract. Now, the books are in the millions. They're in 62 languages all over the world. I just found out in January, I was in, 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 in Korea for the first time, that one of my books had been top 10 bestseller all last year. It sold over 300,000 books. Okay, no, excuse me, 280,000 books. I, in Bulgaria, I found out last October, I'm the number one author in the entire nation of Bulgaria, Christian author. I found out last May, I'm the number two author in Ukraine, Christian author one of my books won retailer's choice of the year award in 2004 in the United States number one book among retailers i was in a meeting with 7500 leaders from 60 nations in eastern europe these are nations like Abidjan, uzbekistan kazakhstan the leader got up and said how many of you have read one of john's books 90% of the hands got went up i was told by a delegation from iran in that meeting they said we've published your books in farsi official language of Iran every time we publish, publish them they all go out we just did 10,000 beta satans in Farsi they're all gone you're the most read Christian author in all of Iran do you know what I want to do I want to find my high school English teachers and I want to say can I give you the 14 books I've written by the grace of God they will literally pass out I will have to revive them and then they will get saved <laughs> why why because it will distinguish me in their eyes for the glory of Jesus because they know John Bevere could not write. Do you know why my name is on those books? I tell people this all the time. The reason my name's on those books because I was the first guy to get to read them. That's why my name's on those books, okay? I am so aware of the grace of God. See, Paul said, I labored more than any other apostle, but it wasn't me, it was the grace of God in me. He's talking about the empowerment. The empowerment of God's grace gave him the ability to do more fruit than any other apostle. Are you seeing this? He bragged about the grace of God. Are you seeing this? I was a terrible public speaker. One of the first times I preached, Lisa heard me preach, excuse me, after we got married. She's in the front row. Within five minutes of my message, she was sound asleep and slept the whole message. Her best friend sitting next to her was so deep in sleep that I watched drool come out of the side of her mouth. No kidding. No kidding. Now, I speak in front of 5,000 people, 10,000 people, 20,000 people. November, 35,000 seat sanctuary four times on Sunday or three times on Sunday in Indonesia. People say, John, do you get nervous before you speak to that many people? No, not at all. They think I'm being arrogant. I'm not. They look at me and say, How come you don't get nervous? I say, Because I know how bad I am. And if grace doesn't show up, we're all in trouble. But grace always shows up. This is why Paul said, not many mighty, not many noble, not many wise, not many strong are called. Why does he say that? Because the mighty, the noble, the wise, and the strong will depend on their own ability. Think about it. You're 10% smarter than the person you work next to, the unbeliever. You ne- Why do you need God's grace? But Paul was one of the noble ones that said, I kind of poop because I want the resurrection power of his grace on my life. Right. Let me end it with this. I've actually got a little time left. How many of you know God wrote your life story before you were born? Yeah. Come on. How many of you know that? Seriously. Look, how do I know that David wrote it? Look at what David said. David said, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life. Look at this. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Hey, did you know that there was a book written about your life? Yes. President Obama is not the only one who has a book written about his life. You have a book written about your life. And the author is God. Now look what he goes on to say. Every moment was laid out in that book before a single day of your life began. God wrote your life story before you were born. Now, can I tell you something about your biography that God wrote before you were born? Can I tell you about it? It is impossible for you to fulfill the biography that God wrote about your life in your own ability. How do I know that? Because if God would have made it possible for you to fulfill your biography, then he would have had to share the glory with you. And God said, I'm not sharing my glory with anybody. So God on purpose made your biography beyond your ability. So you'd have to depend on grace to fulfill it. See, did you ever wonder what the Bible means when it says that the judgment, the books are going to be open? What books? What books are going to be open? The book he wrote about your life. The biography before you were born. And you got to realize, as Christians, we're not going to be judged for our sins, but we are going to be judged. Our sins have been eradicated. What we're going to be judged for is the life we lived and how we used what he gave us, right? Now, let me tell you something. You won't be judged At that judgment, you're a believer. You will not be judged according to what you did. You'll be judged rather on what you were called to do. Some of you are not getting that. I'll illustrate it. At the judgment, you would have heard something like this. John Bevere, son, step forward, please. And give an accounting of your stewardship. And you would have seen me walk up to the throne with Jesus standing there in all of his glory. And Jesus would have said, son, where are the millions of people that I called you to impact through your writings? Where are they? Uh, Did you say writings? Yeah, I called you to write these books. Where are the people that you impacted through the books I called you to write? I, I think you've got us me confused with somebody else my ninth grade English teachers over there my 11th grade English teachers there Jesus I couldn't write I scored 370 on the SAT talk to them son where are the millions I called you to impact through your books I would have been judged according to what I was called to do not what I did And 2% of us know what grace is. That's scary. What's going to happen with American Christians when we stand before the judgment seat? Are you still here? I know I left you with a heavy on that one, but I got good news for you. Today it changes. April 1st. It's not April Fool's Day. It's April Saints Day. Today it changes. Because you just found out what you've got in the grace of God. You've got the power to go beyond your natural ability to fulfill what He wrote about your life before you were born. I don't know about you, but I preach myself so happy I can hardly stand it. (laughs) See here's the thing. I've lived my life thus far thinking, Lord, if you don't come through, I am sunk. But you know, I keep seeing His grace come through over and over and over again. And don't get me wrong, you got to believe, you got to receive. But I watch Him come through over and over and over again. That's what He wants for your life. Some of you He's called to the educational field. This is what you're supposed to be doing in the educational field. Some of you in the business world, some of you are in government, some of you are in athletics, some of you are in science, some of you are in medical science, some of you are in the arts. Whatever it is, if you're living according to your own ability, you're way below what God has written about you in His book. It's time that we move in and we begin to distinguish ourselves because that to me, what I see in the scripture is how there's going to be massive evangelism in these last days. Look, the days of going out and getting in a field and putting up big speakers and doing mass evangelism, that was a beginning, but that's not the way God's going to evangelize the nations. It says we should distinguish ourselves through the different fields, the different arts, the different areas, arenas of life. Through the powerful grace of God, the people are going to go, who is your God? Where do you get this from? How do you do this? And they're going to want. And you're going to have to have 20 services a weekend when these people start living like this. Yeah. That's not enough clapping. I said, that's not enough clapping. Yeah. You're going to show them the strength of your God, and then you will declare it. Wow, I'm happy. And I still got 28 seconds left. (laughs) I'm happy. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, in the name of Jesus, we're so grateful for what you've given to us today. And now, Lord God, I'm asking, draw men and women to the heart of Jesus. Now, I want your heads bowed and your eyes closed, and I want you to listen, because the most important words that I've spoken all morning are about to come out of my mouth. The Bible declares that every human being on the face of this earth was born as a slave. Oh yeah, that's right. You were born as a slave and so was I. What were we slaves to? We were slaves to sin. And God saw that. And so God said, I want to purchase them back. I want to get them out of slavery. So God came up with a remedy to get us out of our slavery. He sent his son 2,000 years ago, who was born of a woman, making him 100% man, but he was fathered by the Holy Spirit, therefore he was 100% God, therefore he was free from the slavery of sin that you and I were born under. Jesus walked perfectly. He walked this earth perfectly for 33 years, He never committed one sin, He was completely the only innocent person that has ever walked the face of the earth. He went to the cross, and as an innocent man, he bore your judgment, and my judgment, your condemnation, my condemnation. He suffered. He died. They buried him. But three days later, after he had satisfied the claims of justice for you and me, because he himself had lived a perfect life, God the Father raised him from the dead. And now God the Father has made a decree, and God has said, any human being on the face of this earth, when they receive or give Jesus the lordship of their life, the tyranny of slavery will be broken off of their lives, and they will become an extraordinary child of God in that moment. Wow, what a decree. You say, John, you said the word Lord. I hear it in church, but I don't know what it means. The word Lord means supreme in authority. It carries the meaning of ownership. The best way I know how to describe it is when a woman walks down an aisle of a church. She's got a wedding dress on. The wedding march is playing. She's saying, goodbye, Tim. Goodbye, Jim. Goodbye, Henry. She's saying goodbye to all of her old boyfriends. She's saying, this is the man I'm giving myself to the rest of my life. Doesn't make her a perfect wife outwardly the first day, week, year, or even 50 years. It means she's given her entire heart to that man. When we give our lives to the Lordship of Jesus, it doesn't make us perfect outwardly the first day, week, year, whatever. It just means we've given our entire hearts to him. Here's the incorrect fallacy that Americans believe. They believe this. That if you just simply believe that Jesus had died historically on a cross and that He's the Son of God, that's enough to make you a Christian. The demons believe that, they even tremble. But they're not going to heaven. You have to change lords. You have to change and give Him the lordship of your life, the ownership of your life. God gave us a free will. We were born with a free will. God will never violate your free will if you want to not change and not be free from slavery and you want to live for yourself the rest of your life thinking you're free when in reality you're enslaved God will protect your right even though Jesus has paid a huge price to save you you're the one that God says you have to choose you have to choose I've set before you life and death therefore you have to choose life because you're already in death so here's the thing I want to ask I want you to ask this, answer this question Who? Who owns your life? Some of you sitting there right now, you're saying, truth be told, John, I still own my own life. Well, in reality, you're a slave. You think you own your own life, but you're still a slave of sin, but you still own your own life. You haven't given your life to the Lordship of Jesus. I want to give you a chance today, on April 1st, 2012, to become an extraordinary child of God. The price was paid over 2,000 years ago. Now is your chance to become a child of God. So if you're in here and you'd say, I want to give my life to the Lordship of Jesus, I want you to simply raise your hand up right where you're seated. Just lift them up high. Please put them up high. Don't fool yourself in such an important decision by avoiding it. If you say, John, I want to burn in hell forever. God will protect your right to do it. But you've got to make a decision if you want to change and become a child of God. Just put your hands up high. Hands are up all over this building. They're up all over this building. I want you to do something. Put your hands back down. And I want to pray with you. I want you to say this. Now I want to make sure nobody missed. If you didn't put your hand up, I'm going to give you one more chance. Every head's bowed, every eye closed. And you say, John, I'm feeling this tugging right now. Yeah, that's the Holy Spirit wooing you to life. Because he doesn't want you to go to hell. God doesn't want you to go to hell but the devil does. So the devil's warned for your soul right now. So I'm going to give you one more chance if you didn't put your hand up. I'm going to give you one more chance. Every head bowed, every head closed. You say, John, I want to receive Jesus as Lord. I want eternal life. Put your hand up right now. There it is. There it is. Hands are up all over the building. All right, put your hand back down and I want you to pray. There's probably about 30, 35, 40 people raise their hands. I want you to say this with me. God in heaven. Okay, wait a minute. Everybody in the building that's saved, I want you to pray with these people. Now let me explain to you why we're doing this. The Bible says, with the heart one believes to right standing with a God, with a mouth confession is made to salvation. God made it so simple that it's just like that girl when she gets married. She makes her vow of faith to that guy. This is what you have to do now. And so I want you to pray this out loud with your mouth where your ears can hear it. And I want everybody else that is born again, a child of God, to pray with these 35, 40 people. All right, can we do that? Say this with me. God in heaven... Thank you for sending Jesus. Forgive me for living my way. I'm so sorry. I've lived apart from you, my Creator. But this day, April 1st, 2012, I give my spirit, soul, and body. I freely give it to Jesus Christ as my Lord and Master. Thank you that according to your word, I have become a child of God in this moment of time. Jesus, come into my heart by your Holy Spirit. Change me and make me the extraordinary child of God. You've created me to be. I'm yours from this point forth forever. You are my king. In Jesus' name, amen. Now give him praise. Come on! Yes! Yeah! That is exciting. Alec, you wanna come help me? Here comes Alexander, the one who thinks, you know what Apple's motive, motto is? Think differently. I don't know if I told you that. This is Alec. Everybody say, hey, Alec. All right, so it is impossible for me, and please understand this is not a commercial. This is an extension of the ministry. It's impossible for me to preach to you what took 400 hours to write. I can't preach it in one service. As a matter of fact, I covered two chapters. There's 18 chapters in the book. My son read 15 chapters in one day. He said, Dad, I couldn't put it down. He said, I believe it's the best book you've written to date. And so this is what I did when I realized I could not preach. To did you notice I didn't even get to the relentless part? That's the most important part of the message. I didn't even get to it, Okay. So this is what we did. We had um, hundreds of people flying from the United States all over, even Hawaii, last summer. And I did 12 30-minute messages. And I walked through this book chapter by chapter by chapter. So there's 12 30-minute messages. That's it. So there's DVDs. There's 12 30-minute DVDs, Okay. Then there's 12 30-minute CDs. And then we have the devotional journal. Now, this is the gem. We spent a lot of time on this. There's a lot in here that's not in the book. There's a lot in the book that's not in here. Every day you spend 15 minutes, this is made for individual or family study, 15 minutes in this, you read one chapter in the book a week, one DVD a week, one CD a week for 12 weeks. What is it designed to do? It's designed to bring the creative, extraordinary life that God has created you to live out of you, Out of you. okay? This is what I don't wanna see happen. How many of you got something out of today, honestly? All right, I don't want to see five weeks from now, you're back to life as usual, except now you're frustrated because you've got the knowledge here, but it's not here. The Bible says faith comes by hearing, and by hearing, and by hearing, and by hearing, and by hearing. It's repetitive. That's how it gets from here into here, and when it gets to here, that's when it begins to produce. All right? I'm I'm almost alarmed sometimes at how casually we take the Word of God nowadays. Not in this church. That's what I love about this church. You're a studious church. So study to show yourself approved. That's what the Bible says. Are are you with me? Now, we have the suggested retail price is one price. If you go to the bookstore tomorrow, it'll probably be that suggested retail price. We've cut it in half because I want everybody to get this because I really want to see this church go from glory to glory. All right? I do want to say this. I'm very, very sorry. I sent 80 of these curriculums. As of the first service this morning, they were completely gone. So last night and the first service wiped them out. Last service, we had not one left. We have... This is the last one. So the first one to the table gets this one, okay? So don't hurt anybody, okay? <laughs> All right. So this, but this is what I'm going to do. We're going to go ahead and sell these as if they were here. And you can put down your credit card, your checkbook, whatever you want to do. And what we're going to do is I'm going to have my office FedEx it on Tuesday. It will be here Thursday. You will have it Sunday to pick up. I'll pay the express shipping. We won't charge any more for that. I just want to do that because it's my fault. I didn't bring enough for you, okay? You really blew me away on how hungry you are, okay? So they'll be out there to help you. There are other things out there on the table. I'm not going to take the time to talk about it. We'd be here another hour. But I do want to say this. When you get one of those curriculums, not only will you be helping your family, your life, but you'll be resourcing four pastors in another nation, four pastors with that same book. Because this year we're giving 235,000 of those books out to pastors and leaders in 20, 25 nation, 27 nations this year. Last year we gave 271,700 books to pastors and leaders in 45 nations. I mean, we did 10,000 in Vietnam. We did 15, we, what did we do last year? We did 10,000 in Pakistan this year. No, this year's 10,000 in Pakistan. We did 24,000 in Iran, 5,000 in Egypt. We did about 12,000, I think, in Turkey. We, I mean, I could go on and on. We did Cambodia. We did Thailand. We, China was 45,000 alone. These are pastors and leaders. Now, I want you to understand something. We gave them 50,000 Bibles, New Testaments pastors came back and said, we are so thankful, but would you please send us teaching? We need teaching. And so that's when we stopped sending Bibles and we started sending these books because these curriculums are in 25,000 churches in America. And what the, the re- responses we hear are so amazing. We want to be able to help over there because we realize it is God's. It, we're stewarding what's God's. Yeah. All right. And so there's going to be an offering received. This offering will not go to me personally. Lisa and I, we receive a salary that is set by an independent board of Messenger International. This helps us to be able to really go and do what we're called to do. So this goes to Messenger International. Are you with me? Yeah. And so the other thing that we're doing is we've built a safe house for girls that are sex trafficked in Phnom Penh, Cambodia. We last year built them um, a vocational training school because if they don't get a trade, they're going to end up back in prostitution because that's all they know to do. And this year, we're building them another building. And so you're, you're helping us on a worldwide scale. A few years ago, I just want to say this. A few years ago, I was in a complaining mode. And I said, God, why do I have to receive offerings? Why can't I just teach what you've given me to teach? And you just bring the money we need for Messenger International. Just bring it through angels and ravens. You did that in the Bible. And the Lord spoke to me. And he said, I don't want the angels and the ravens getting the credits for the millions of souls that I've called you and Lisa least impact by my grace. Then I realized that Paul said, when you give into the ministry, you become a partner. Your tithe belongs here. That's your first 10%. That doesn't go to us. That doesn't go to, you know, any other evangelistic ministry. It goes to your local church. This is something you get to do. It's called an offering. You get to invest. So someday you'll stand before the judgment seat and Jesus will say, I want to show you the hundreds of thousands of souls you impacted in Pakistan. You go, I never went to Pakistan, Jesus. You sewed into Messenger International. They did 10,000 relentless books to Pakistan pastors. They did the curriculum to Pakistan pastors because we're doing the curriculum too. And they also had a TV program that aired in Pakistan. These are the people you impacted. You get credit for those souls forever. To me, that's the greatest reward for giving. That's the greatest reward. I mean, yeah, you plant a seed, the seed will produce more seeds. That's elementary. Jesus said, give and it'll be given to you. That's such, that's, that's, that's a benefit. The real benefit is you're impacting souls all over the world for eternity. So thank you so much. It's been an absolute honor being with you. I can't believe this is my last service, although I am ready to take a break because I have talked so long. I have such admiration for you pastors. You do this every week. So anyway, it's been an honor. It's been a privilege. Thank you for who you are and for the way you are glorifying Jesus in this state. God bless you. Here you go, pastor.
1: Thank you, thank you. Can you guys thank him? Come on. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. What a blessing. Wow. Thank you. Well, you guys were blessed today? Well, we are going to take a special offering right now, and you guys just heard where it's going. I don't even have to elaborate on all that. You know the difference that we're going to be making, and we are, as a church, have been trying to stretch and practice our generosity muscles. Amen? Because we know the good that it's going to. We know that God's going to touch the world, and, um, and praise God, it even comes back to us. So we're going to pray over it real quick before we pass it. Put the brakes real quick. We're just going to pray over this. And then we will pass the plate, and uh, Kanani's going to come up and end our service for us. Let's, let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much. And um, Lord, I pray that we receive and we retain what we heard this morning. Lord, that it should challenge our thinking. We thank you for that, Lord. It brings us into a greater understanding of what was already written in your word, Father God. That as uh, John said, it was something that was previously hidden, that Paul had to make it known. He had to bring it out, his plan for us to live extraordinary lives by the power of God's grace in us, Lord. And I pray that we would take it from our head to our hearts. Lord, that we would uh, stay in your word, Father God, that we would begin to pray to be 10 times smarter, 10 times stronger, 10 times more creative, 10 times more influential, Lord, in all of our lives. Lord, that we understand that the evangelism is gonna come through each and every one of our lives here. It's not gonna be the big crusades and campaigns, but it's through each of us living and fully embracing the God-given abilities that you've, you've called us to, Father God that we wouldn't discount ourselves by what we think of ourselves or what this world thinks, but we would embrace who you've called us to be, Father, and that's what we're going to be accountable for on Judgment Day. So Lord, right now, we use this opportunity to sow seeds of blessing and to multiplication into the resourcing and to the teaching and into the books and the materials that are going to go bless churches and Christians around this world. Lord, what an honor that we get to give towards this. Lord, I pray that we would not give reluctantly or with stinginess, Lord, but with generosity, knowing that this is going to furthering your kingdom worldwide, that we can sit here in Kaneohe Oahu, Hawaii, and we can make a difference around the world simply by writing a check right now or swiping a credit card or whatever we need to do, Lord, to just see this ministry go out around the world. We thank you for this opportunity to partner with you, to partner with Messenger International and John and Lisa and all the others involved in their ministry. Thank you for them, Father God. Thank you for giving them to the church worldwide. They are a true blessing to us. And we just give you all the thanks and praise and glory this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.
2: Amen. Okay, they're going to collect the offering now. And I got to tell you, you know, we massive, massive amounts of people receiving Jesus this weekend. And we are blessed to be able to be here with you as you ask him into your hearts. We want to make sure that after service that you go to the Welcome Lounge. If you prayed with John, go to the Welcome Lounge. We want to give you a Bible. We want to get you a journal, the tools that you need to get started in your journey because it's going to be an amazing, exciting one. Go get that from the Welcome Lounge. If you're new to our church, go out there as well because we have um, a goodie bag for you. We want you to be involved in what God's doing here. We want to connect with you and find out how we can bless you and and have you alongside us as part of the blessing and i don't know about you but i was abundantly blessed this morning thank you so much john for ministering to us and i um i really feel and i don't know if you guys had it stirred and i'm just going to talk a little while while they're still passing the baskets but um i really felt like i need to repent i understand grace and i and i understand a glimpse of of you know if i have to get up here on this stage even to do announcements i always do the I'm not going, Holy Spirit, unless you come with me, unless your grace covers me. But I don't want it to be limited to my time in here or to when I go on Thursday nights to pray for people. I want my feet to hit the floor going, unless you're going with me, Holy Spirit, I might as well just stay in bed. And as a a Christian, as a daughter of the King, I want that for for myself, but I want that for you guys, for my family, because I believe 100% that God has so much available for you. And in him, our fullness comes. I want that grace to grace to grace that, I, that we would be known in heaven on earth and below the earth as those who walk in that power, in that anointing. And it's, it's right there waiting for us. We just forget. Like leaving your house without putting your slippers on. Trevor always forgets his slippers at our house. I don't know how you go home barefoot, but I don't want to walk without that grace, whether I go to the store or, or just in my own house. And so I want to declare, do you guys want that? Do you guys want to repent from our misunderstanding of that grace? Right now, Lord, we repent. We ask for your forgiveness for our, our shallow understanding of your grace. For wasting it up until this point. We want it all. But we would walk fully in your in your grace, your empowerment. Let it fall on us. Let us receive it. Let us walk in what you've already provided for us, that we would see Kaneohe change, that we would see Kahalu come to know you, that we would see our island bless this world and this nation. And Lord, at the same time, we pray for more of your incredible grace on John and Lisa. Your protection on them as they speak into countries that are closed to any other way of your word getting in there more of your wisdom, more of your heart, more of your passion, more of your knowledge. And we ask that that will continue to bless this church, Messenger International, and their boys, and all of our family. We give you glory in the mighty name of Jesus. We declare you are Lord, and we are yours. Amen. Amen. Let's worship him.
0: God is with us.